Paul has come to the end of his third missionary journey. And at this particular point, he is on his way to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit has led him to go to Jerusalem. He had spent three years in Ephesus ministering. And after those three years, then the Holy Spirit led him to go through Macedonia and Achaia. And he's on his way to Jerusalem. But before he gets to Jerusalem, he stops in Asia. He doesn't go straight to Ephesus because that would take too long. After three years of ministry, it's a lot of necks to hug, a lot of people to see. But he doesn't leave Asia without taking an opportunity to speak to the elders of the church in Ephesus to pour into them and thus to their church one last time. So he stops in Miletus in Asia. He calls for the elders to come from Ephesus to Miletus to talk to him. And then he addresses them there. So last week, we looked at this passage. We, we primarily focused on the first half of the passage uh, as Paul gives this speech to the elders about both how he shepherded them and also how they ought to shepherd. And today, we're going to primarily focus on the second half as uh, Paul continues. But uh, we're going to read the whole thing so that we get a sense for the context and all that Paul is trying to convey to these elders. So if you would, uh, if you're able, please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's holy word. We're going to read Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Serving the Lord with all, with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. And teaching you in public and from house to house. Testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fears, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering, that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. 
And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. The grass withers, flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Sheep need a shepherd. Sheep need a shepherd. There was a video that went around not long ago on the internet that illustrated just how badly sheep need a shepherd. So the, the video uh, it's, it pictures it begins with this sheep who apparently had wandered off as sheep are prone to do, and he got trapped as sheep are prone to do. And, and there was this, this narrow but deep crevice in the ground, and this sheep had managed to, to get himself stuck, and all four of his legs stuck down in this crevice to where he, he could not get out. So this video pictures this shepherd who, who is getting down sweaty and dirty and trying to get him out with you know wedging himself in there and trying to pull this sheep out and and get him from out of this this you know this, this heavy sheep out of this deep crevice and he's he's, he's getting down in there and he, he's getting him out and and finally uh, he's able to release this sheep who never could have gotten out by himself who needed the shepherd to be able to rescue him from the danger that he had wandered off into. And what was amazing is in this video you could see the joy, if you can call what a sheep experiences joy, uh, you can see this joy of the sheep whenever his shepherd rescues him. I mean, uh, you know, he's, he's wiggling around free and he's, you know, making all the boss sounds that sheep make and he's jumping up and he leaps off and he prances off and he falls right back into the crevice. <laughs> sheep need a shepherd. It's true for real sheep. It's true for the sheep of God's flock. Sheep need a shepherd. We are hopeless on our own. For three years, Paul shepherded the people of Ephesus. We saw last week, the first half of this speech, Paul primarily focuses on his example of shepherding, looking back on what kind of shepherd he was. And we saw that the kind of shepherd that we need, the kind of shepherd that, that Paul was, is a shepherd who models the life of a servant. He, he says, I lived among you serving the Lord. 
The kind of shepherd we need is the shepherd who teaches the word without holding back. Paul says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. And we need a shepherd who values God's will more than his own life. Uh, Paul is going to Jerusalem knowing what awaits him, but he says, I don't account my life of any value or as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. That's the kind of shepherd that Paul was. And now in this speech, after verse 27, shifting into verse 28, Paul moves from his example to exhortations for these elders. The kind of shepherd that Paul was is the kind of shepherd that he wants these elders to be. And he gives them further exhortations about the kind of shepherds that God's people need. And therefore the kinds of shepherds that he wants these elders to be. But of course, ultimately, the kind of shepherd we need, the shepherd we need, is our Lord Jesus. We read at the beginning of our service, David prayed, The Lord is my shepherd. Jesus himself declared himself. He says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is called the the chief shepherd of the sheep. So whatever example Paul set of the ideal shepherd, whatever standard of shepherding he was calling these Ephesian elders to, whatever Paul's definition was of the kind of shepherd that God's flock needs, Jesus is that kind of shepherd perfectly. And in Christ, the kind of shepherd that we need is the kind of shepherd that we have. And if we have been given the responsibility to shepherd, then we need to look to Jesus for how we ought to shepherd God's sheep. Um, As we discussed last week, this passage certainly is directly applicable to those who are elders within our local church. Uh, But just because you're not an elder doesn't mean that you haven't been given the responsibility to shepherd God's sheep. Uh, Yes, pastors are shepherds, but husbands are shepherds. Parents are shepherds. Disciple makers are shepherds. There are many of us who have been given the responsibility to shepherd God's sheep in the way that he wants them to be shepherded. And so we need to look to Jesus as our example. But whoever we are, we are also sheep in need of a shepherd. And so we need to look to Jesus not only as an example, but as our supply as the one who is everything we need. We're going to see today three traits of the kind of shepherd that God's flock needs. I mentioned we looked at three last week, and now we're going to look at three more. The three traits that we're going to look at of a shepherd, the kind of shepherd that we need, first of all, is a shepherd who guards the flock. Second, we'll see the kind of shepherd that God's flock needs is a shepherd who depends on God and his word. And finally, the kind of shepherd God's flock needs is the kind of shepherd who wants to give more than he wants to receive. So we're going to look at each of these in turn. First of all, the kind of shepherd God's flock needs is a shepherd who guards the flock. A shepherd who guards the flock. Look with me at verse 28 again. Paul says, To the Ephesian elders gathered there in Miletus, 
pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. This verse is jam-packed with important information, so let's look closely at it. Paul urges the elders to pay careful attention, first of all, to themselves. The first sheep that a shepherd needs to look out for is himself. Paul writes something similar to Timothy, who, fittingly enough, is going to go on to be a key leader in the church in Ephesus. He writes in 1 Timothy 4.16 that Timothy ought to watch himself and the teaching. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching, Paul writes. It is critical that shepherds of God's sheep watch themselves, both in terms of their doctrine, what they believe, but also in terms of their heart and their character before God. Paul urges the elders to pay careful attention to yourselves. But second, he urges the elders to pay careful attention to all the flock. He'll go on to talk about why they should pay careful attention to the flock in the next verse. But first, notice how he describes the flock that these are shepherds of. There's three things that I want to draw out about what Paul says about the flock in verse 28. First of all, they need to understand, God's under-shepherds need to understand that this is not a flock that belongs to them. It is a flock that they belong to. It's not a flock that belongs to them. It's a flock that they belong to. Look at that word. Look in verse 28. Pay pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Look at that word in. It's really some of these uh, prepositions in Scripture uh, are, are, are prepositions on which major doctrines hang. In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. This is critical because under-shepherds are not to be over the flock as if they were distinct from it. Shepherds, under-shepherds, are part of the flock. They are in the flock, members of the flock. Shepherds are sheep first. And those shepherds, those sheep, have been given by the Holy Spirit a particular role in that flock of oversight. So it's critical that the shepherds, the under-shepherds who serve underneath the authority of the chief shepherd recognize that this is not a flock that belongs to them. It's a flock to whom they belong. They're in the flock. But second, it's a flock that they are to shepherd. The Holy Spirit makes certain sheep overseers for a specific purpose. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Uh, That word care is the same word as, as pastor or shepherd. You are overseers in the flock 
put by the Holy Spirit to pastor, to shepherd, to care for the flock of God. There's a purpose in, uh, for which the Holy Spirit put these shepherds in place. And finally, under shepherds need to realize about the flock that this is a flock that belongs to God. The flock is the church of God. It's God's church. This local assembly of believers who have committed themselves to the Lord and to one another in Ephesus. This is a church that belongs to God. How did he come to have ownership of it? He obtained it with his own blood. When Jesus, fully God and fully man, died on the cross, he purchased people for himself. He paid the price to obtain ownership of the flock. And so, these under-shepherds needed to understand, when you are with your church, this little local church in Ephesus that you have been made shepherds of, you are in a group of people that are owned by God, bought with the blood of Jesus. You are stewards of God's flock. This is who the flock is in whom or in which they have been made overseers. So why should they pay careful attention to the flock? Why do they need to pay such careful attention? Well, verse 29 gives the answer. Paul says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Uh, Paul knows how things move from order to chaos. He's seen it in other churches that he's already planted along the way in his missionary journeys. He knows wolves are coming. There are threats coming, and you need to watch out, elders. You need to guard the sheep, pay careful attention to make sure you protect the sheep that belong to Jesus. And sadly, exactly what Paul said would happen does end up happening in Ephesus. By the time Paul writes to Timothy in 1st and 2nd Timothy about the church in Ephesus, there are specific false teachers, specific wolves that have come in among the sheep that he names and rebukes that Timothy is to deal with. So this is not alarmist. It is realism. Paul knows that wolves are coming. But What's critical for them to understand and for us to understand is that the threat does not only come from without, the threat also comes from within. Look at verse 30. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. This is one more reason why these elders must pay careful attention to themselves, first of all. Not only each one individually, but as a group looking out for themselves among this council of elders there in Ephesus. Because Paul looks at this group of elders and he says, from this group that I'm standing in front of, this board of elders, from among you, there are going to be men 
who abandon the gospel and start teaching false doctrine. From among you are going to be wolves who take advantage of the sheep. So watch out, pay careful attention. As we look at this verse, there's two ways you can spot a wolf. First, he says, a wolf speaks twisted things. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verses 3 through 5. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. False teachers will twist things, who will abandon the pure teaching, the sound words of the Lord Jesus and twist things, and that twisting of words then has a twisting effect on the congregation that is drawn into this controversy. That leads us to the second way that you can spot a wolf. There are wolves who speak twisted things, and wolves also draw away disciples after them. Now, notice, draw away disciples after them. These are people who are more interested in making disciples of themselves than disciples of Jesus. People who are trying to attract a following, influence, power. And it's really easy to do that. Look at 2 Timothy 4. If you want to be a wolf, and I hope you don't, I'll tell you how you can be a wolf. Because sheep will follow you. And here's your instruction manual for how you can get sheep to follow you. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Do you want to be a wolf? Twist the truth so that it sounds more attractive. So it sounds like what people want to hear. And people will flock to you. They'll stray away from the shepherd, wander off with you. They will pay your income. They will give you all the praise you want because you are giving them what they want to hear. You're tickling their ears rather than giving them the truth. And that's how a wolf acquires disciples for himself. Speak twisted things, draw away disciples from the good shepherd and his truth to what sheep want to hear. 
So in light of these wolves that are coming from without and within, Paul says in verse 31, Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. So Paul comes back and repeats this charge to be on guard, to pay careful attention, to be alert. And he points them back to his example. Again, Paul, throughout this speech, points to his example as how they ought to carry on his uh, shepherding ministry. He says, listen, I was this kind of shepherd. There was no one I was unwilling to admonish. If admonishment needed to happen to protect the sheep, I did it. There was no one I was unwilling to admonish. There was no time of day I was not willing to admonish them. And I did it with tears, by the way. Not happy. I'm not getting joy from this. But I do it because I care deeply for the flock that belongs to Jesus Christ. This was Paul's example, and they were to follow that, of being on guard, guarding the flock. This is the kind of shepherd that God's flock needs. And this is the kind of shepherd that we have in Jesus. Uh, turn with me to John chapter 10. Jesus, the good shepherd, is a shepherd who guards his sheep. Look at verses 11 through 13 of John 10. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus is not a hired hand. Jesus is the good shepherd who obtained, purchased the sheep with his own blood. He is a shepherd who cares deeply for his sheep and is committed to guarding them against wolves. And then look down at verses 27 and 28 of John 10. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. If Jesus has obtained a sheep with his own blood, that sheep will never perish because the good shepherd guards his sheep. No one will ever be able to snatch a true sheep obtained by Jesus' blood out of the sovereign good hand of the good shepherd. No one can snatch a sheep out of Jesus' hand. This is the kind of shepherd that Jesus is, and this is the kind of shepherd that Jesus wants to replicate in his flock. Jesus calls his under-shepherds to guard the flock. Now, the first thing we need to recognize about that truth is just how encouraging it is for under-shepherds to know that we guard the flock within the safety and protection of Jesus's guarding and protecting of the flock. The worst under-shepherd in the world 
cannot cause a true sheep to perish because Jesus is the good shepherd who guards the flock. An under-shepherd can fail in every way and still no one can snatch a true sheep out of Jesus' hand. And so, we can take great courage if God has given us the responsibility of shepherding even one sheep. We have a responsibility. And we should do it faithfully. But we can take comfort in the fact that we guard within the safety of Jesus' protection of his flock. However, and this is a big however, just because true sheep can't be lost or perish, it is still true that sheep can be harmed majorly. Sheep can be harmed. And so, we can take great courage in Jesus' protection if we are under shepherds. But if we are under shepherds, we also need to be very sober and feel the weight of responsibility, knowing that we have a responsibility to guard sheep against harm. As sheep, under not only the chief shepherd, but as sheep who are under the authority of, of under shepherds, of, of human overseers, I, I want to, to caution you. Be aware the temptation to have a distaste for protective shepherds. Uh, it, it's easy sometimes to see shepherds who are uh, protective, who are taking steps to guard and think, ah, they seem a little uptight or seem a little strict or seem a little on edge or I, I just, certainly shepherds can, can fail and, and, and sin can taint in any regard, but beware the temptation to have a distaste for protective shepherds. The chief shepherd fiercely protects his sheep. And when you see your shepherds on guard, you should be encouraged by shepherds who are actively paying attention, actively being alert and guarding the flock because we need shepherds who protect. We need shepherds who protect in terms of the membership of a church. We need shepherds who protect in terms of who can teach within a church. Who guard against people twisting things. We need shepherds who can protect in terms of who can work with your kids. We need shepherds who protect through rebuke, through admonishment with tears, like Paul says, uh, through discipline. We need shepherds who protect the flock. I, I expressed last Sunday night that one of the reasons why the elders of our church are presenting to our members uh, a revised constitution and bylaws, uh, one of the motivating factors is our desire to guard the flock, to protect us. Uh, protect us against doctrinal error and drifting in the future. Pro protect us against unfaithfulness in the future. Uh, protect us even uh, in terms of legal protection. And so, you need shepherds. I need a shepherd who protects the flock. 
And so if you are prone to have a distaste for protective shepherds, I would encourage you to look to Scripture and learn to desire and value shepherds who guard the sheep. Because that's the kind of shepherd that Jesus is, and that's the kind of shepherd that Jesus wants to replicate. Well, the second kind of shepherd that God's flock needs is a shepherd who depends on God and his word. In verse 32, Paul says this, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So imagine you're the elders in Ephesus, and Paul has been with you like training wheels, and all of a sudden Paul is leaving, and he says, you're never going to see me again. And the elders are the ones left in charge. I mean, I'm going to be like, but Paul, like, what, are, are you sure you didn't shrink from telling us anything that we needed to know? You, you did remember it all, right? Uh, but Paul, you, are, you're trusting us? Like, None of us are apostles. I don't know if you've looked at us. None of us saw Jesus on the road to Damascus in a bright, glorified vision. But what does Paul say? You have God and the word of his grace, the gospel. You have God and his gospel. You have everything you need. The gospel is sufficient. The gospel is the power of God for salvation from beginning to end. Notice in this little verse how Paul encapsulates how the gospel brings salvation, and he encapsulates the entire process of salvation. He he mentions the beginning of salvation when he refers to Christians as all those who are sanctified. Uh, Those who are in Christ have been set apart. Um, the, The passage that Dalen prayed from, which was also written to this uh, church in Ephesus. The, the passage that Dalen prayed is, is such a fitting example of what Paul has in view here in verse 32. Those who were, who were chosen by God from the foundation of the world, set apart for himself. Those who are sanctified, the gospel is sufficient to begin the process of salvation, to set people apart for God. But he doesn't stop at the beginning. He talks about progressive sanctification as well the the process of being made holy when he says that the gospel is able to build you up god's purpose for a local church his desire is that they would as a body grow up into the head who is christ and this gospel is able to build us up and finally uh he see he 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 has final salvation in view when he says that the gospel is able to give them their inheritance uh, there is a glorious inheritance awaiting all those who are in Christ in eternity uh, god is going to pour out the riches of his mercy for all of eternity on those who are in Christ and the gospel is sufficient to begin the process to take you all the way through the process, and get you to that final inheritance. So as Paul is looking at these elders, he knew the kind of shepherd that these elders needed him to be for them is the kind of shepherd who entrusted them into the hands of a faithful God and who entrusted them into the gospel that is sufficient from beginning to end. And this is the kind of shepherd that we have 
in Jesus. Jesus depended on his Father and on his Father's word. In John chapter 14 and verse 10, Jesus says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. So Jesus modeled for us what it looks like to live in dependence upon God the Father and in dependence upon his word. But not only does Jesus provide us that model of a shepherd in that way, he's also the kind of shepherd who entrusts his under-shepherds to God and God's word. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays for the apostles, uh, a group that Paul would later be a part of, these under-shepherds who would plant the first churches and appoint the first elders. In John 17, first in verse 11, Jesus prays to his father, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. He prays and entrusts his under-shepherds to the care of God the Father. And then in verse 17, he prays, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus entrusts his under-shepherds to God's word, which is able to build them up and give them their inheritance. And this is the kind of shepherd that Jesus wants to replicate. You and I need shepherds who depend on God and God's word. And if you have been given the responsibility to shepherd even one sheep, you need to depend on God alone and his gospel alone. If we have God and his gospel, we have everything we need. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. If we have God and his gospel, we have everything we need for life and godliness. Someone else might be more gifted than you are. But no one has a better God than you do. Another church might have a better production than we do. But no church has a better gospel than we do. If we have God and his gospel, we have everything we need. The flip side of that, if we don't, depend 
on God and his gospel. If we don't have God and his gospel, it doesn't matter what else we have. We have nothing. You can have all the talent in the world. But if you don't depend on God, you have nothing. Our church can have the funnest kids activities and the greatest small groups and can serve our community better than anyone. But if we lose the gospel, we lose everything. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1, 22-24, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. If we have God and his gospel, we have everything that we need. The last trait of the kind of shepherd God's flock needs that Paul highlights is the kind of shepherd that we need is a shepherd who wants to give more than he wants to receive. The kind of shepherd God's flock needs is a shepherd who wants to give more than he wants to receive. Paul begins making this point by looking again to his example in verse 33. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. And now, so what Paul is not saying here is that it's wrong for people to provide for the physical needs of ministers. Uh, he makes that clear in other places. His point here is that he was not in it for what he could get out of people. Paul worked to provide for himself, and not only for himself, did you notice, it's, he was working to provide for the rest of his team, too. And Paul says that this is the example of the kind of heart posture that shepherds of God's flock ought to have. A posture of working and giving rather than a posture of wanting and receiving. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 34. So last week, we also spent some time in Ezekiel. We looked at chapter 33, and we saw how God had called the prophet Ezekiel to be a watchman. And, uh, and certainly that theme resonates with what we've been looking at this morning, the idea of shepherds needing to guard, be on alert for the sheep. But in chapter 34 of Ezekiel, God actually speaks directly to the shepherds, the leaders of the people of God. And specifically, he rebukes the shepherds of Israel. Read with me verses 1 through 6 of Ezekiel chapter 34. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You Eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. 
The injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts, think wolves. My sheep were scattered, they wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. God rebukes these shepherds because they did not shepherd in the way God calls his shepherds to shepherd. They were shepherding like hired hands, remember John 10? Not like shepherds who cared for the sheep. They were supposed to be feeding the sheep and instead, they were eating the sheep. It tells you everything you need to know about what a failed shepherd is. They were supposed to be spending themselves to care for the sheep, but instead, all they cared about was what the sheep could do for them. And so God will go on in Ezekiel thirty-four ten to tell them, I am against the shepherds. The ones who were only in it to get from the sheep. The kind of shepherd God wants for his people is the kind of shepherd who finds joy in giving and caring for the sheep. So we go back to Acts chapter 20. uh, Leave a finger in Ezekiel 34, a bookmark, and go back to Acts chapter 20. This was the kind of shepherd that Paul was, the kind who modeled what it meant to love to give more than he loved to get. Look at verse 35. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. You hear some echoes of Ezekiel 34 in that. We must help the weak. And remember, the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So Paul is quoting the Lord Jesus there. The good life, the good life that everybody instinctively wants and pursues, the good life that every religion and philosophy is trying to grasp at, the good life is not found in getting. And acquiring for yourself. If you want the good life, if you want to flourish as a human being created in the image of God, then you will be a giver. It is more blessed to give than to receive. This was the model that Paul lived out, and he wanted the Ephesian elders to follow his Example. He says, remember the weak, uh, those who can't provide for themselves, uh, those who have no means, those who are the most vulnerable. Work to care for them, work to give to them, work so that they have something. He wants them to focus not on getting, but notice, he also is not telling them to focus on working to provide for themselves. This is not about work ethic and self-sufficiency. 
He wants them to focus on working to meet the needs of others. He says, others focus. How can you work to give to others? That's the kind of shepherd that God's flock needs. And this is the kind of shepherd that we have in Jesus. If you still have Ezekiel 34 marked, turn back with me there. So God looks on the shepherds of Israel and he sees failure. He sees self-centeredness. He sees those who were trying to devour the sheep and abuse the sheep and get from the sheep. Wring them dry out of everything they could possibly do to benefit them as shepherds. And he says, I am against you. What is he going to do about it? God says in verse 22, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. God's solution to failed shepherds of the flock is Jesus Christ, the offspring of David, the good shepherd and chief shepherd of the sheep. This is how God wants to shepherd his people with the good shepherd who knows that it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is the kind of life that Jesus lived. It's the kind of shepherd we have. The author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, verse 2, that we are to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was in it for joy, but let me remind you that Jesus, who is fully God, is self-sufficient. There is nothing that Jesus needs. There is nothing that he could go and get that he doesn't already have. There is nothing that he needs that he doesn't already have. And so what we need to understand is that Jesus did not go to the cross for the joy of getting. Jesus went to the cross for the joy of giving. Because the one who said it is more blessed to give than to receive lived the truth that it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is the kind of shepherd that we have in Jesus. The one who went to the cross for the joy of giving to Help the weak in the most dire sense. It's the kind of shepherd we have in Jesus, and it's the kind of shepherd that Jesus wants to replicate among his flock. So if, if you've been given the responsibility of shepherding even one of God's sheep, are you in it to give or to receive? Pastors, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, 3, that we are to oversee and shepherd not for
for shameful gain, but eagerly. So are we eager to gain or are we eager to give? And, you know, in this context of Acts 20, Paul specifically is talking about money, but it's not just money that it's easy to be tempted to try and gain and and to live for that sort of gain. It's easy to be eager to gain influence, to be in it to gain praise, to be in it to gain affirmation. But the kind of shepherd that Jesus wants to replicate is the kind of shepherd who is eager to give. Rather than acquiring influence for himself, the kind of shepherd that wants to empower others and equip the saints for the work of ministry. Rather than the kind of shepherd who wants to acquire praise for himself, one who knows the joy of simple, quiet faithfulness that no one else will ever see or praise. Instead of uh, the kind of shepherd who is in need of affirmation from other people, the kind of shepherd that Jesus wants to replicate is the one who is content for the Heavenly Father to see the shepherd in secret and reward on the last day. Parents, when we think about the phrase, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The fact of the matter is, if you're a parent, you are giving. (laughs) You're giving all the time. Give, 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 right? So you're like, all right, check. I'm giving, right? Well, no. You are giving, but is it a joy or a burden? Do you rejoice at the chance to give again? Or do you resent that your kids are getting in the way of what you would like to receive. And just when you thought the giving was over and the nest was empty, then along come parents who need care. Do you have joy in another chance to give? Or do you resent that that giving is getting in the way of what you want to receive. Here's here's what we need to hear from Jesus when he says this. He's not saying this heavy burden is something that you should bear and deal with it. He says it is more Blessed to give than to receive. Jesus is saying, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus is inviting us to take something upon us that is, uh, it's, it's, uh, as Dane Ortland says, it's a non-burden. He's inviting us into a better life, a a life of rest, a, a better way. He says, you only think that receiving is the pathway to flourishing. You only think that acquiring is the pathway to the good life and joy. Uh, It's a lie. It makes you feel good for a second, 
and then it's over. You really want to know lasting flourishing, lasting joy, the kind of delight and joy that Jesus, the most human human that's ever lived, the the one who experienced the fullness of humanity and, and flourishing in the way that no one else has experienced, you want to know what that's like? Learn the joy of, of giving. That is the more blessed, the more happy, the more flourishing life. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Well, after Paul had said all these things, reminded them of his example, gave them these exhortations, then came the hard part. It was time to say goodbye. Kneels down, prays with them, and then came a tearful goodbye. Here was this man who had labored among them for three years, night and day, who had diligently shepherded the shepherds. And as far as they knew, they would never see each other again. So they, they weep, they hug, kiss, embrace. They follow Paul all the way to his ship, as far as they can go. And Paul went, sailing with tears in his eyes, but with rest in his heart, because he knew he had been a faithful shepherd. He knew he had not shrunk from telling them what they needed to hear in order to shepherd in the way that Jesus wants them to shepherd. And most of all, he could leave resting, knowing that these shepherds and this flock were safe in the arms of the good shepherd who obtained them with his own blood. And because of that, They'll never perish. No one will ever snatch them from his hands. This is the kind of shepherd that God's flock needs. If we have been given the responsibility of shepherding even one of God's sheep, may we be found faithful to shepherd the flock of God purchased by his blood in a way that he would shepherd And most of all, may we remember that the shepherd that we need is the shepherd that we have in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for how you faithfully shepherd, how you sent for the wandering sheep. You rescue the lost. You bandage the wounded. You feed the hungry. And Lord, we'll never perish in Christ, the good shepherd. Thank you for your care for us, and Lord, as those who have been entrusted with caring for others, may we follow the example of our good shepherd. We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together and respond to God's word.